Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're now in Lesson 65, and we are now in the book of Haggai. We continue the story and uh, the history of the true church of God, as God recorded it in his own words, in contrast to what people have written about it, which is partial knowledge and a lot of uh, mixed-up information. In chapter 2 and verse 6, we read, what God is saying that he's going to do the end times, verse 6, For thus says the eternal of hosts, once more I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, speaking about the end time, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the, despi- to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, speaking about the future temple of Ezekiel, says the eternal of hosts, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the eternal of hosts. Which is going to make all nations uh, bring all their gold and silver as, a, as an offering to his temple, the future temple that is going to be uh, built, which is going to be a most glorious temple, far greater than the one of Solomon. Verse 9, and the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, and speaking specifically about the temple of Solomon, says the eternal of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the eternal of hosts. So God is going to dwell in this temple, the Lamb, uh, the Savior of Israel, the Messiah, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, and Israel is going to be in that land. As we read already an awful lot about it, and you can uh, put the whole picture together in a much better way now that you have the pattern. Now let's go to the book of Zechariah and continue the story there, and we are now in Zechariah uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, and we read here, uh, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shvat, uh, that's the month before, uh, that's around February, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, or Berechiah, uh, that means the blessing of God, uh, the son of Ito, the prophet. And he says, uh, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses red, uh, sorrel, and white. Uh, then I said, verse 9, my eternal, or my Lord, that is, not my eternal, my Lord, and here, in this case, Lord is correct, it's, uh, because that's how he addressed the angel. Now, this is not speaking about God. So, Zechariah says, my Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Eternal has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And so, verse 11, So they answered the angel of the Eternal who stood among the myrtle trees and said, That is, the, the ones that were walked to and fro, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. As God uh, in the flesh described it uh, in his day, as in the days of Noah, people are going to be, you know, marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. No business as usual. Verse 12, uh, Then the angel of the Eternal answered and said, O Eternal of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, against whom you were angry this seventy years? So this is speaking specifically about the first captivity that was brought back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, and also about the end time in specific. Verse 13, the Eternal answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. Verse 14, so the angel who spoke with me said to me, 
proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, I am jealous over or for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. And in essence, he's describing people who put, uh, you know, who brought the destruction on his people, and now for them business as usual. And they don't care about the people of God, but God describes his feelings in contrast. And this is, you know, the, the God of Israel, this is Jesus Christ, speaking about his people, you know, in Jerusalem, Judah, the people of Israel. He says, I'm exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, that is the Gentiles, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. God raised them to begin with to punish his people, but they did it with their whole being and heart because they were filled with hatred against the people of God. And God didn't intend for that, and so he's going to be very, very furious with them and punish them for it. And he's always done that every time he raised an enemy to smite his people. And the enemy took it personally, and therefore God turned around and punished them very severely. It's going to be the same in the future. And so in verse 16, we read, Therefore, thus says eternal, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. You see, I never forsake them. I never leave them. I punish them, yes. I was angry with them a little. And the Gentiles did far worse. But I'm going to return to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the eternal of hosts. And the surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. And so it happened in the day captivity of uh, uh, that returned in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, but he speaks, you know, speaking specific about the future. Again, verse 17, 17 proclaims, saying, Thus is the eternal of hosts, My cities shall again, this is, these are my cities, this is my land, and people should remember that, and you do not call the land of Israel, the land of God, Palestine. That's blasphemy against God, and some of us are so blind and ignorant and unlearned that they, you know, it doesn't dawn on them what they are saying, what they are doing, they insist on doing it. And that shows what's in their heart. Verse 17 again proclaims, saying, Thus says the eternal of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The eternal will again comfort Zion. That's Zion. People say, well, Zion is a church. Jerusalem is a church. Yes, but what church? That's a problem. In their ignorance and blindness, they don't know what church this is all about. That's God, the people of God. The children of Israel, children of Jacob, the physical nation are going to be uh, atoned for and cleansed and purged and purified and be remarried to their God. That's Zion. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. And God makes it very plain what he's talking about. And then uh, we'll continue to read. Uh, well, basically, we can stop at this point because God basically made, made it very plain and very clear that he never rejected his people and he's going to bring them back. And nobody's going to fight his people and afflict his people anymore. And then we go to uh, chapter 4 where we continue the story in verse 8 and we read, Moreover, the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, speaking about the temple that is of Ezra and Nehemiah, his hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. So the Lord, the Eternal, Jehovah, says that when that happens, then you will know that Jehovah sent me. So he makes it very plain that there is another Jehovah, and that one became known as the Father. And he also is Jehovah, that is eternal. Both are eternal. 
both have the same name. And so Jesus Christ makes it very plain, and God made it very plain from the beginning of time. That knowledge has always been there. And there are four instances here in, uh, in Zechariah in the first few chapters where the Eternal speaks and he tells his people that when these things come to pass, you shall know that the Eternal has sent me. So what Eternal says, you will know that the Eternal has sent me. And when the eyes of Judah are open, they are going to see who their God is, who their Savior and Messiah is, who the ruler is. I'm not going to, to uh, argue with that anymore. But until that time, for the life of you, you cannot convince anybody who is... Uh, who cannot see. No more than he can uh, teach a blind, you know, what red or green or blue is uh, until the eyes are open. And God is the one in charge of that. And so we continue the story in uh, in chapter uh, 6 and 15. Well, let's go to chapter 6 and verse 12, actually. We read in verse 12, Then speaks to him, saying, Thus is the eternal false saying. In other words, uh, the angel is speaking to uh, Zechariah, and we read, well, actually, the eternal is speaking to Zechariah, and he's telling him to, to say that, then speak to him, saying, that says the eternal of all, saying, behold the man whose name is the branch, as a man is going to be called the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the eternal. And this is what Christ was saying, I shall build my church, and my church is the temple of God. The people of God are the temple of God, because God dwelt in his people. And people who read that statement, having no knowledge, no background, no understanding, they don't know what it means. And they get confused, and they invent their own doctrines. Verse 13, yes, he, he shall build the temple of the eternal, he shall bear the glory, and speaking not only about the physical temple, but specifically the spiritual temple, and shall sit and rule on his throne, you see, the throne of David, this is what Jesus was going to sit on, this is what the Messiah, this is what the God of Israel, this is what the husband of Israel, and so he shall be a priest on his throne, so he's going to be a royal priest, a king and a priest. A priest, Melchizedek, as we read in other places, and also the king of Israel. And so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. In these two offices of a king and a priest, he's going to be a royal priest, and he made his people a royal priesthood to all the nations of the earth, kings and priests. And that's a promise that he gave to his people, which he himself fulfills, a king and a priest. And in the past, no king of Israel was also a priest. But this one, the Messiah, the God of Israel, is both. Both of them. He has always been both of them. And God makes it very plain. So in verse 14, uh, he says, Now you give the elaborate crown, it shall be for memorial in the temple of the eternal for Helen, Tobiah, Judah, in other words, those, uh, uh, people, uh, children of uh, the son of Zephaniah, his people of God, priests, and even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Eternal. Then you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. So that's another case where, where the God of Israel says, You shall know, that is the, the Eternal, Jehovah says, You're going to know that Jehovah sent me. So he's speaking about another Jehovah. And as time goes by, uh, it became much clearer when it came to the writings of the disciples, because there 
Then Christ, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, came and revealed it in very, very plain terms. That there is him, the God of Israel, and there is the Father who sent him, but nobody knew before that because he did not deal with humanity. And now God makes it very plain. But then, throughout the scriptures, he made it also very plain to those who have eyes to see. And the prophets of Israel, the people uh, who were the saints, uh, the servants of God, they always knew that. There was nothing new about it. Even the, the, the wife of uh, Abraham, Hagar, knew about it. When she met the angel, she called him God because she knew he was God. She saw him before that speaking to Abraham. And, uh, and he himself, as God, said that he was the angel of God because he was the messenger of God, the, the one that became known as the father. And that's a mystery still to the majority of the Jewish people, but it's not going to be for long. And so he says, you shall know that the Lord has sent me. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the eternal your God. And that's the key. If they have really obeyed God as they should have, they would have known it. Since they didn't, as he told them, he had you to believe Moses, they would have believed me. And today do not believe Moses and the prophets as they should, and so they're confused about the identity of the church too. And that's speaking about some people who are going to be the people of God. And God tells us, come out of Babylon. And uh, this is very plain. And so let's go now to uh, to chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, where we read again the word of the eternal of hosts came, saying, Thus says the eternal of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great zeal, as I mentioned that earlier, chapter 1, with great fervor uh, or rage or heat, I am jealous for her. In other words, God is very, very angry for what people have done to his city. The nations of the earth, they came and brought all the religions over there and made it Sodom and Egypt, spiritually speaking. And also there is confusion on the part of his people. And so that adds to it. Verse 3, thus says the Eternal, I will return to Zion. God never forsook his people. And dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, because that's the symbol of his church. And Jerusalem is symbolic of the nation. That's why later on, Revelation... Uh, Jerusalem that descends from heaven is called the bride of the Lamb because it's symbolic of the nation. That's why it's called Jerusalem above, the mother of us all by the Apostle Paul. And so God says, Jesus Christ says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, which is not today. The mountain of the eternal of hosts, that's, that's its kingdom. This is what it means, thy kingdom come. And those who don't understand it, they got a fairy tale religion. And this is called, it's going to be called the holy mountain. Verse 4. That says the eternal of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. And as we went through Ezekiel, we read about the city. It's going to be a city there with the representatives of all the tribes of Israel are going to be leading the city and they're going to be the teachers of humanity as people come to Jerusalem to hear the word of God. So this is talking about them. And they're going to be old, and they're going to be young, going to be children, they're going to be happy. So all men and all women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. They're not going to die young. They're not going to be sick. As you read in Isaiah 65 and verse 20, as we read earlier, uh, you know, a child shall die a hundred years old, and so they're going to be old. And the streets of the city, 
and they shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Not cars running by and, you know, and running over children. Boys and girls playing all around, and everybody's happy. Verse 6, Thus says the eternal of hosts, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes? You know, that thing, well, that can never happen. The way the city of Jerusalem is today, you know, the burdensome stone to all nations, they all fight for that city, they all claim that that city belongs to them. Every religion says, well, that's my city. Or at least that's, you know, that's my city also. And so they cannot ever conceal this uh, vision that God gave his people. Yet those who read the word of God and believe it, to them it's reality. And we can be like God. We can call things which are not as though they are. So we don't need to worry about the fate of Jerusalem. God is going to take care of that. The people of Israel are going to dwell in it, and no alien, no Palestinian, no Greek, no anybody else, and all those churches that are there are all going to be booted out. Again, they're going to be wiped out from under heaven without memory. Uh, all false religions, and even the religion of Judah is going to be cleansed and purged and purified, and only the truth will remain in it, and that which is not will be gone. And so, verse 7, God says, Thus says the eternal of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east, and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, my church, my wife, my bride, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. And the message is very plain and has been always very plain from the beginning until the end. And why do people get confused and are mixed up and think that the God who came and gave his life for his people said, well, after my death, forget about you. I'm going to get me another wife. That's beyond comprehension. Unless, you know, you, you understand that when people drink of the wine of the fornication of the wrath of Babylon, they become drunk, and they can't see anymore. And that's the reason people believe these lies. God tells us, come out of Babylon, you're all drunk. Get out of it. Dry up. Verse 9, thus says the eternal of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing this in these days, these words by the mouth of the prophets. That's exactly what you've been hearing so far. Not words of men. You know, the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day of the, uh, the foundation was laid for the house of the eternal of hosts that the temple might be built. You see, so believe the words of the prophets. Believe God. Believe Moses. Believe the disciples of Christ. Believe God. Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling to all of his people. Those who have an ear and are letting hear. And those who don't, well, they will in the future. We go now to uh, continue from uh, verse 11. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the eternal of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall be, give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give her dew. Now they've got a lot of problems with water in the Middle East. In Jerusalem and Israel, the whole territory there, and things are going to be different, God says. He's going to bless the whole land. And I will cause the remnant of these people, God makes it very plain, to possess all these. Not, you know, the remnant of the Philistines or the Canaanites or the, you know, those who call themselves Palestinians, but the remnants of Israel. That land belongs to the children of Israel because that land belongs to God and He gave it to them. 
Verse 13, And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, and we think that we're a blessing to the world, and we import all the vomit, you know, of entertainment and technology and everything else that brings destruction to the earth and pollution and slavery of different form. And we think that we are blessing and the world may think that some of the things that we give them is a blessing, but in reality, God says it's a curse. About the Jews, as they call them today, the Jews, house of Judah, and about Israel, who think of themselves as Christians today, and Christianity, among the other nations who are also calling themselves Christians, and they are all, to God, vomit, religions of vomit, both Christianity and Judaism in their present form. They're not the pure religion of God. They're perverted, warped religions, and that's why they became vomit. And so God says, it, it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, the house of Judah and house of Israel. So I will save you and you shall be a blessing. When you're going to teach in the whole earth the word of God, the truth, the Torah, instead of lies and deceptions and mixture of vomit, you know, you've got missionaries going all over the world. You know, as Christ said, many shall come. So God makes it very plain that the people of Israel, instead of being a blessing to the nations, teaching the word of God to all nations, they didn't. And there were curse among the nations, and also the nations hated them in many ways. Look at the hatred that a lot of nations have against what they call imperialism, Zionism, and all that. And many people hate uh, what comes out of these nations of Israel because of uh, the damage that it causes in their own nations, destroys their own culture, and many things that uh, they feel are very good for themselves. And, nevertheless, God said he's going to make them a blessing. And he says, do not fear, let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the eternal of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the eternal of hosts, and I would not relent. In other words, I'm going to punish you for your wickedness, and I was not going to change my mind on that. Verse 15, so again, in these days, I am determined to do good, to Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And the message is very clear. Now, Zechariah in specific is the prophet to Judah, because Israel is, to is totally gone by the this time. So the emphasis is on Judah, but then all the remnant of Israel is going to be brought back. Because earlier, verse 13, is talking about the house of Israel and Judah. And so, God says, so again in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear these other things, you shall do. And when God is finally going to bring back the last captivity and punishment on his people, which is yet to come, it's not here yet, 50 years ago was a horrible one, what is coming now is going to be even more, because it's going to be on a larger scale, and would afflict all the nations of the earth, beginning with all the nations of Israel. And yet God tells them, you have to behave yourself, because you do not. The people of God are not behaving themselves, they are cursed to the nation. They are cursed among themselves. You know, they are afraid in their own cities, in their own homes. They get bars and gates. They've got crime and corruption, immorality. Evil is everywhere. And so God says, you are cursed to the nation. It's not a blessing. And uh, we continue now. And God says uh, in verse uh, 16, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Awful lot of lies out there. A lot of companies out there making business just on lies. 
and give judgment in your gates, in your cities, for truth, justice, and peace. And we know that this is not the way things are in the land, in either of the lands of Israel, be it the land of Israel in the Middle East or all the nations of Israel anywhere. Verse 17, let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these are the things that I hate, says the Eternal. And in that Israel became a curse to the nations also. Verse 18, Then the word of the Eternal of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. And this scripture cannot be comprehended by those who are not Jewish because the, 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 this uh, fast days were a part of the history of Judah when they went to captivity in the days of uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Zedekiah, and uh, several, uh, all those fast days were being proclaimed at that time because of the destruction of the wall and the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple, and the death of Gedaliah that was murdered, you know, the last leader, the, uh, leader of uh, Judah. And so to this very day, only the Jews are the ones, because of that was a part of their history, they keep it. And God says from now on, uh, when the time comes, when the Messiah returns, when the God of Israel returns and marries his own people, Judah and Israel, he says in specific to Judah, because that's applicable only to them, he says you are no longer going to have these fast days. They're going to be days of joy and gladness. And certainly to this very day they're not. Because the Jews are still keeping these days and fasting on these days. And so God is telling his people Israel that, specific speaking about the Israeli today, that is of the house of Judah, that all those days of fasting, and as a matter of fact, there's an awful lot of uh, mourning there that has nothing to do with these uh, days of fasting, but mourning because there is an awful lot of death uh, on the borders skirmishes in Lebanon, different places, soldiers are blown to pieces now and then all the time, and a lot of them are going without food and drink uh, just because of grief and anguish at times, not able to eat, and that unfortunately is the part of the curse that God talks about as we read earlier in verse 13, where God says, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. And so they were a curse, because of different reasons. The main ones that God is bringing all around all the time in many places by all the prophets is because they have disobeyed his voice, walked away from him, and allowed an awful lot of immorality in their midst, and idolatry, and all kind of other things that God said, for those very reasons, is going to bring the enemy against them and to afflict them. And if they are dying on the borders, and they are dying at war, where they shouldn't be fighting, and uh, instead of that, stay home and be happy, it's partly because they are cursed to the nations. They are not behaving as God wants them to be. And therefore, he does not make their enemies uh, become their friends. But he raises their enemies to fight against them. And so it's important for the house of Judah and the house of Israel, they have an awful lot of problems within their borders, and within their homes and on the roads, they should realize why. Their behavior does not lend itself to a blessing, but to a curse. And for many people, life is a curse because of that. You get into a, a car, and especially in Israel, it's, it's happening in, in other nations of Israel, 
uh, be it in the United States or England or other places, but you get in Israel, oftentimes into a car and that, and uh, you're doing it uh, the risk of your own life because of the road rage that is extremely prevalent there among the drivers. They don't need to go to, co to war to, to get killed. They do it on the road. They kill each other. You know, and with kind of this kind of, uh, of uh, Israeli friends around you, you know, who needs enemies? And you read in the papers, you hear an awful lot about uh, husbands killing their wives, an awful lot of that, and uh, uh, either parents or uncles or uh, even religious uh, figures at times are caught uh, with incest or with uh, rape of their own daughters and, uh, and so forth. So there is an awful lot of corruption, an awful lot of evil that is a curse to them because of their conduct and behavior, and, well, the nations look at them, and even the, the Palestinians uh, who have, a, uh, tragically for Judah, a higher morality than the people of Israel, uh, they look down on them because of their behavior and conduct, and that's to their own shame, so that they, they hate them even more so for that, for bringing, you know, influences, which they bring from the other nations of Israel, mainly the United States, a brother nation, even though they're not aware of it, and uh, they use that uh, immorality, unfortunately, that comes out of uh, this country of Israel to uh, affect the life in their own land and affect all the, the people around them. And, you know, those people around them don't like it. That's why they hate the West. You know, they have good reasons for doing it because of what it does to their, uh, to their morality and to their youth and to their family. And so God says, you're going to be fasting uh, until you learn, you know, to, to behave yourself. And he's going to put an end to it himself by sending them into captivity, both houses of Israel and Judah. And so he tells them here in verse 19, that all these days of fast that you have fasted, and to begin with, why did the wall fall? Why did the temple get burned? Why was the city taken into captivity? All that because of iniquity on the part of Judah. That's why. And, you know, the murder of uh, the leader at the time in 2,000 years, another murder of uh, the leader of Israel by one of their own. That's what happened. That's a repeat of history. And so God says, you know, when you walk in peace, you're not going to uh, do that. And today, even though they say, uh, you know, uh, a whole generation seeks peace, you cannot see it on the street. You cannot see it in their homes. You cannot see it in many ways. You cannot see it when you read the paper. You see anything but that. And so that's why he tells them all these days of fast are coming to an end. And therefore he says, love truth, not lies and deception which the society is full of. Love truth and peace. And people who walk, you know, go into, into, into their car and think that they're in a tank and they're going to destroy the enemy, which is their fellow Israeli, these are not people who love truth. They can talk about peace all they want. Their behavior shows otherwise that they love war better than peace. They can have peace with their neighbor, you know, the, the, the driver on the road. They don't. They'd rather have war. And until they're able, you know, willing to acknowledge that, that they have sinned grievously against their God and against His laws and against their fellow men, well, they're going to have an, an awful lot of uh, fasting that is not pleasant and mourning and grief. And so verse 20, God says, Thus says the eternal of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go, that is, let us continue to go, and pray before the Eternals. You certainly don't see that today. And seek the Eternal of hosts. I myself will also go, yes, many peoples and strong nations 
shall come to seek the eternal of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the eternal. So God doesn't need at this point when he comes down, the Savior of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel, the Messiah, the husband of Israel to come, the one that became known as Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. All it means to save the anointed Savior. And he's been always their anointed Savior. Only now he came in the flesh. When he comes, he doesn't need now missionary work anymore. He doesn't need to send his people Israel, as he did with the disciples who were Israelites, into all the world. He's going to make the world come to Jerusalem and seek him. And what a reversal. And so that's what we are reading here. And so what we are reading here, that the church, just like in the days of, uh, of Jesus Christ on the earth, as he sent them to proclaim the message while he was still on this earth, and then later on he said, you go into the world. And mainly, uh, he told them earlier, that he's speaking uh, with an emphasis on the house of Israel, the lordship of the house of Israel. And then he called later on, several years later, the apostle Paul to go to the other nations, so he can have some more individuals among them. Individuals, I said, not nations, because nations were not being called. Those nations who became so-called Christians have joined the counterfeit church. Not the true one. That was a little flock. That's why it was a little flock, because God was not calling the whole world. That was not the time. He was not about to convert his nation, and he certainly was not about to convert the world. And so, Jesus Christ was not a failure all these 2,000 years. It was not the intention of God to call all nations. That comes to the end. At this point, we read what's going to happen. When the church of God is restored cleansed, purged, and purified, and admits their guilt and sin and iniquity, all those members of that church, of the house of Israel, both houses of Judah and Israel, then God is going to make them the holy priesthood, royal priesthood, the holy nation, and cause them to be the light of the nations, no more the curse of the nation, but a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will now come, and they're not going to come as they do today into the nations of Israel to study technology or other things so they can go and pollute their own land, and, and, and build, you know, atomic uh, uh, reactors and uh, atomic warfare and uh, uh, missiles and all those things. And technology that is going to devastate their own life and destroy their, you know, natural way of life that God wanted, wanted humanity to be living. You know, they're going to come now before God and ask him how to live life righteously so everything will go well, so he can bless us and we would not be sick and confused and in darkness and false religions and all those things, and then die. And that's the story of man. And so this is what we are seeing here. And you see now the church finally is doing her job, as a church, as a whole. And so this is what they are going to say in verse 23. Thus says the eternal of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. He could have said an Israelite. He didn't say that because the majority of the house of Israel lived in, in a false religion all this time. And they didn't point the world toward the law of God. And we're not talking about perfect Jews, but in spite of their imperfections and all, you know, whatever ignorance they had, and though they didn't even know their, their Savior when he came, they still retained the law. And when you want to know when is the Sabbath of the eternal, you didn't go to the Christian community, you went to the community of, of Judah. Or the Ten Commandments, or the other commandments, or the clean and unclean, and all those things that God demanded that his nation live by. And so this is what he, what it says here, and since the whole world, whole world knew all this time, when is the Sabbath of the Eternal, because of the Jewish community, 
even though there are some others who uh, believe in Christ and also keep the Sabbath, as a whole, it was a Jewish community that preserved the knowledge of the law, knowledge of the Torah. And for that reason, they also were persecuted and hated, you know, with bigotry. And to this very day, there are people who hate them for that. And to this very day, tragically, there are people who call themselves people of God, who have been called by God and received the Holy Spirit, and they still have a resentment and a contempt for the Torah of God, for the teachings of God, and some of them even for the Sabbath. And they say, well, we're spiritual, we don't need to keep it. You don't find a Jew saying like that, you know, a religious Jew who call upon the name of God, you know, the same God who became Jesus Christ, but you see it, unfortunately, in the community of Israel. And so that's what you read here. Now, this is the opinion of God. You know, this is a condemnation, in essence, against the house of Israel. And for that matter, you know, even against many of the Jews who did not keep the Sabbath and couldn't care less about it. But the ones that did are going to be in this position. And so God says, ten men from every language of the nations. Why does it say ten, not eleven, not eight? Well, when we read in many other scriptures, we find out that uh, uh, about a tenth are going to uh, remain uh, in the land. And generally speaking, whenever you do something, it seems to be that only about ten percent respond anyway to begin with, and then you have to work hard on the rest. And so ten men from every language of the nations, because the Jews were dispersed in all the lands of the earth, and uh, many of them were a light to those areas they went to, and many of them were not. But in either case, the whole world knew what is the law of God, the law of Jesus Christ, the Torah of Jesus Christ, because of the Jew that was there, and partly also in, in terms of other teachings that were preserved in the house of Israel, in terms of their faith, all in both, you know, the so-called Old Testament and New Testament. So the two were two were partially allied to them, but certainly not when it came to the Sabbath and other laws of God and clean and unclean and many other things. Anyway, whatever that may be, this is the way God recorded it, and there is a lot to learn from it. And so ten men from every nation shall grasp, this, grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It's interesting they didn't say that to an Israelite, but to a Jew. And especially when you remember that when Christ descends on this earth, when the Messiah, when the God of Israel, as you would read later on in uh, Zechariah 14, he descended on Mount of Olives. He came to his own as he did the first time. And it says the tents of Judah shall be saved first. And he's going to make the whole world know that. And all the anti-Semites all around the earth, including among the children of Israel, that should have known better. And this is what they're going to say. We know that God is with you. And it's something very interesting for us to consider. Anyway, let's go to chapter 9 and uh, verse 9. Where we read more about the king of Israel. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the fall of a donkey. And now, this is speaking about the first time when he came to his own people and they did not recognize him because he blinded their eyes. That's why, as we know from Isaiah chapter 6. So it was not in that sense totally their fault. You know, when your eyes are blind, you can't see. And uh, then, uh, after that, he talks about the fact that he's going to bring destruction on his people because of disobedience. And when you read the Word of God, you're going to see back and forth, back and forth, you know. And you can have uh, 3,000 years capsulized in one scripture. So you have to know uh, a lot about the Bible to know where you are. 
at whatever point in uh, what you are reading at the moment. And if you don't, you get confused. And so in verse 10, now he's jumping into the future. Uh, because by this time we're talking about the days of Zechariah when Israel is just totally gone into captivity, so they're not around. And yet this is what God says about them. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And that's long after they were already gone. So he's talking about the future, obviously. And the horse from Jerusalem. He's talking about the end time when he's going to both. So Ephraim was ahead of the nation of Israel. Judah is ahead of the nation of the house of Judah. You know, with Benjamin and Levi and the remnant of Israel that joined them. And so God is going to bring destruction on both. And Jeremiah 30, we read about it as being the trouble of Jacob. And in Daniel 12, we read also about the same thing. And in the book of Matthew, we read about the same thing. And Mark 13 and so forth. And Luke 21. It's all the same event. Where God is going to bring, bring great punishment on his people Israel. The whole house of Israel. And then he's going to punish the nations and bring the remnant of his people Purge them, cleanse them, purify them, make them without spot, without blemishes, pour his spirit on them. Some of them who will make the spirit beings because they have overcome in this life, because they were called and responded and were chosen, and the rest are still physical human beings. And so this is what God is going to do. And the horse, he says, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. No more weapons industries. That's one of the major iniquities of the, of the house of Israel today. They produce so much weapon, you know, their economy depends so much on the weapons that they, they produce, and nations that can't afford it are buying it, and they're in grievous poverty because of that, and their people are starving to death, because their leaders have to spend it on weapons, and this is what the arms race had done, thanks to the technology of the people of Israel. And of course, others got into the, uh, into the same pot to make some uh, money out of it, other nations too, but they followed, you know, the example of the, of the house of Israel. It became a curse to the nation, not a blessing in this area and many other area, areas, that is. And so God says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bowl shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. Now, that's the end of it. After the, all that is over, he's going to speak peace, speaking by the God of Israel, who earlier is described as coming on a donkey to Jerusalem, which he did the first time. Now, 2,000 years down the road, in the same scripture, he's doing something else or in the same section anyway. And so he's going to speak peace to the nations, that's once he subdued them, and got the poison out of their heart and minds, and hatred. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So first he's described as one who is coming on a donkey to Jerusalem, and people who don't know, uh, don't know that there is a first time and a second time, yet God made it very plain for those who is, uh, with eyes to see, and many Jews, many rabbis, many of the leaders of Israel, and he's there, they knew that, they knew exactly that he was coming at that time, because the prophecies of Daniel told them exactly to the year when he was coming, and they had no problem understanding that, but because of jealousy and envy and politics, that's the reason why they wanted him dead, they were afraid of losing their own power. That was a personal thing, political thing, it had very little to do with religion. That was a convenience. So they used that argument, as it happened many times with other religions who have done it, like the Inquisition against the Jews. That was a political thing, economic thing. They wanted their money, and they used religion as an excuse to get it away from them, and they keep doing it in all the nations of the earth against the Jews. And so God is going to cut off weapons, no more war, and now he's going to speak peace to the nations. And those who are not going to listen, he's going to clobber them on the heads, so they can listen. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river, that is, the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. And so speaking also in, in terms of his own land. 
And uh, then in verse 11, we read, uh, well, we can stop here because uh, you can read the whole book and, uh, and discuss, you know, cover many points. Uh, the, the point here is to give an awful lot of information, uh, very methodic information, so you can have a, uh, a pattern, so to speak. Then when you read the Bible yourself from beginning until the end, all things will fall into place. And if you haven't got that, you just don't know what you're reading, and you don't understand, and you get confused. And so, in verse 11, we're going to continue to read. And we read here, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Speaking about his own people, is going to bring them deliverance. Verse 12, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Asiretik as I call them in Hebrew, a very famous uh, statement. And uh, people of Judah, unfortunately, were many times prisoners of hope. They were hoping, 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 you know, going back to the land, being delivered from this country, that country, this pogrom, that holocaust. So this is what God is saying. You return to the stronghold. Go back to your land. He's going to bring them back. You prisoners of hope, even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow. So he's speaking about the other nations. He's going to... Uh, especially about the, the false church and the counterfeit church and all their armies, going to be an alliance of both religious and economic and military uh, configuration, and they will come against the people of God, and God is going to destroy those armies. And so this is what he's saying, For I will have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. And uh, God is going to raise his people, both houses, Israel and Judah, and he's going to oppress uh, all the enemies of Israel, and he's using Greece because they too are involved in that. And as a matter of fact, uh, some people don't realize that. Many of the people in, in Lebanon and other places were of Greek origin uh, because, you know, the Greek world was all around the world. And I think at this point we're going to stop and conclude this study. Until next time, this is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.